From the Ohio School Boards Association, I'm Sky Kerfin. This is Leading the Way, brought to you by Sedgwick Managed Care Ohio. This summer, the U.S. Supreme Court will decide a case that could change the way the nation treats prayer in school. Today, my colleague, Staff Attorney John Price, is here to talk about what this might mean for school districts, for freedom of speech, and freedom of religion. John, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast, and welcome to OSBA. You just joined the association in March. Thank you so much, Scott. I'm really happy to be here. John, John let's start with uh, what is this case all about? It involves a football coach, right? Yes, Scott. So this case is really the praying football coach case. So this case arose out of a school district in uh, Washington State. Um, and what happened was there was a football coach for the high school team who developed a practice of going out onto the 50-yard line in the middle of the field um, after football games, and he would kneel down and say a prayer. So over time, um, students started to join these prayers, um, and he actually would start involving not only his own prayer players, but the players from the other team. So this practice kind of went on for a while, and then one t- one day a principal from a neighboring school district alerted Bremerton, which is um, was Coach Kennedy's then employer, um, about the practice. So um, the practice kind of alarmed the school district because of uh, the way that courts have handled um, First Amendment Establishment Clause cases in the past um, regarding the establishment of religion. Um, And so the school district took an action by um, taking the coach aside and offering to accommodate his religious practice. So what they basically told him was, you know, we are really concerned about the public nature of these prayers, particularly as it got more and more involved with the players, um, and said, we don't have any issue with you praying, but we need um, you to do it in kind of a less public fashion. So they offered him an accommodation to like a more private place where he could do the prayers. So that went on for a while. Um, Coach Kennedy uh, for a while uh, took the district up, up on that offer. He would do his prayers in private. Then one day the district gets a letter from uh, Mr. Kennedy through his attorneys saying, um, actually, I'm going to resume doing the public prayers in the way that I was before. Um, and you're Uh, attempt to kind of squelch that violated my First Amendment rights. So um, it all kind of came to a head in two different football games back in 2015, um, in which he again went to the middle of the field, um, knelt down and did the prayer. Um, And at this point, I think it should be noted that this has become a media firestorm, like people the media is involved. He's gone to the news. People in the in the community are writing letters to the district. So at this point, it's like something that is well known. Um, and at one of these football games in 2015, um, he went out, did a prayer, knelt down, was joined by a bunch of students. And then actually, there were um, a lot of community members in the stadium who went out on the football field as well, caused kind of a commotion, knocked over some marching band members. And um, And that was kind of what brought it all to a head. So the week after this, there's an away game. He does the prayer again. The school district says, um, you're on paid administrative leave. And that was pretty much the last game that he coached there. So, um, and he instituted a legal action against the district. And that's how it ended up at the Supreme Court. 
What are the key issues at stake here? I, I assume the First Amendment comes into play, right? Yes, you're right, Scott. Um, it is the First Amendment, but I think what's really important for people to know that there's a lot in the First Amendment. So this case actually sits at the intersection of three separate um, uh, First Amendment rights. So there's freedom of speech, which is what we all think about when we think about the First Amendment. There's the free exercise of religion clause um, in the First Amendment. And then there's also what we call the Establishment Clause, which forbids government entities like school districts from establishing a religion. So. What the question really boils down to in this case, um, as simply as it can be put, there's a lot of um, complicated issues going on, but where does Mr. Kennedy's right to private religious expression end, and where does the school district's obligation to avoid promoting a specific religion begin? Because remember, one of the main concerns that the school district had in this case is it would be perceived um, by people in the community that they were endorsing this evangelical brand of Christianity that, that Mr. Kennedy was kind of um, espousing when he was doing his prayers. So historically, government employees do have some right um, to private religious expression as long as it does not interfere with their official duties. So things like a teacher reading the Bible at, at their desk or saying a silent prayer to themselves before they eat have been fine, but um, actually standing up and leading um, the class in prayer is not okay. That, that crosses the line into establishing a religion. So really what the case, what the court is uh, wrestling with here is where does Mr. Kennedy's actions fall on that spectrum? Like, is it more like a teacher saying a private prayer at their desk? Or is it more like, okay, class, let's stand up. It's time to do our um, communal prayer. And here we go. So this case is really an opportunity for the court, um, if they so choose, um, to draw new lines and how these cases are deciding move, decided moving forward. So, yes, and as you said, there, there were oral arguments. Uh, yes. the, the justices did hear this case, and and we should see a decision probably this, what, June, I think, or somewhere around yes, there, do you think? Yes, that's correct. What was discussed during the oral arguments? What what, what are some things that, that you noticed? Well, um, oral argument actually was longer than the court uh, typically hears oral arguments, so that kind of is a clue as to um, maybe the, either the importance or um, the complexity of this case. Um, at oral argument, what was notable to me is it did seem like a majority of the court was pretty sympathetic to the football coach's position. Um, just by the nature of the questions that they asked, it really seemed like um, they uh, were concerned that the district's actions in this case somehow um, unfairly um, limited his um, ability to espouse his religion. Um, I think, you know, one of the more interesting cases, one of the more interesting aspects as far as like who wins or loses is what is, where is this going to leave um, kind of established Supreme Court precedent moving forward. Um, so school prayer, kind of the seminal school prayer case that we that we have is a case from the 1960s called Engel versus Vitale, which um, basically stated that um, school prayer in the traditional sense, like I was mentioning earlier, stand up, time to pray after we do the Pledge of Allegiance, um, is unlawful under the First Amendment. And those kinds of cases have sort of sort of bubbled in the court um, several times over the years. Um, so historically, the way that courts have interpreted and addressed these cases is using what we call the lemon test or the endorsement test. So 
That comes from a case, obviously, with um, a party named Lemon. That's kind of how these cases get, get their names. But basically, under the Lemon test, to determine whether or not a government action violates the Establishment Clause, um, the court will look at three different factors. So for, first, they will ask if the government is able to articulate a secular purpose for whatever the action is. Then they will look at whether or not the, uh, the action has a principal or primary effect that does not uh, advance or inhibit religion. And then third, the government action cannot foster an, ex an excessive government entanglement with religion. So that's basically how courts have interpreted this um, in the past. And that's actually what the school district rely on, relied on in this case when they took the action that they did. Um, so one thing that came up uh, at oral argument is um, there was a real skepticism among members of the court as to whether that is the way that these cases should be addressed moving forward. Um, particularly, um, Justice Kavanaugh um, really um, made some comments that uh, cast a lot of doubt as to whether um, this is even still good law. He mentioned that the court has not actually explicitly um, applied Lemon to any of these uh, cases in over two decades. Um, so one thing that really came out of oral argument is there was some real wrangling and wrestling among the justices about whether that's even the way that these cases should be interpreted. Um, there's also um, there was also some discussion about whether to adopt what um, what I would call a kind of explicit coercion test. So under that theory, a, a government action like this would only be unlawful under the Establishment Clause if there was explicit um, coercion um, into forcing students or others um, to adopt a particular religion or, or religious belief. So um, obviously, you can see that's a lot more restrictive. There's a lot of there's a lot of cases or a lot of actions that might be problematic under Lemon that would not be problematic under under that uh, significantly um, different standard. So, you know, the oral arguments really involved a lot of a lot of discussion about you know, do is Lemon still good law? Should we explicitly over, overrule it, or um, or should we just um, decide the case in another way? So I'm going to put you on the spot. How how do you think this case will go? What what do you think we're going to see? Uh, well, like I said earlier, um, it, coming out of the oral arguments, it's always difficult to predict um, what's going to happen with the Supreme Court. Um, I do think that, um, I, I do expect them to rule in favor of the co-chair, um, just based on their questioning. Again, I think the bigger question is how sweeping is this ruling going to be? Um, are they going to explicitly overrule um, the Lemon test? Um, and I will say um, to our listeners, um, as we sit here just this week, um, the Supreme Court decided a different case, um, and there were two justices who signed on to an opinion in that case arguing for let, um, abandoning Lemon explicitly. So um, I think it's certainly possible that you might might see the court do something like that. Um, if that were if that were to be true, that would be a huge change in the way that um, school districts approach these these issues. But um, I don't know that it's for sure that the that the court's going to go that way. But I think it's a possibility. So I'm going to have you look into your crystal ball. What what possibly uh, is at stake here? Implications, you know, that school districts are going to see. 
Well, I think, you know, if the court decides to make a sweeping ruling in favor of Coach Kennedy, which they, is not is definitely not set in stone, they could dis, they could find some narrow grounds to rule in his favor. Um, they could really kind of just look at this as a um, government official on duty kind of case and just say, well, you know, he actually wasn't on duty. It was at, um, after the game. And they could maybe try to sidestep some of these bigger issues entirely. Um, but if they do decide to make a sweeping ruling in favor of the coach, I think a a lot of districts are going to have to rethink um, some of their policies regarding um, religious practice in schools. Um, I think it's going to be possible that they may have to allow religious um, speech by employees um, and maybe even students um, in a way that they might have thought problematic before just because, you know, in a lot of these cases, it's really two competing values, right? It's like we want to allow people to express belief, their beliefs. I mean, they don't shed their religious beliefs at the schoolhouse door. But also, you know, we are in a position to where we're supposed to be upholding the Establishment Clause and these all these other First Amendment values. So you really could um, you could end up with in a situation where we really have to rethink um, the way that we look at that. But in what way do we have to rethink? I think we have to wait for the opinion to know that for sure. John, some great insight. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. And also thanks to Sedgwick Managed Care Ohio for sponsoring. Well, thank you so much for having me. SBA offers a unique support service for our member districts known as the Virtual Transportation Supervisor Program. No, it's not a replacement for your transportation service supervisor. It's a support program with resources to help your administrative team. A single annual subscription gets your district access to regional in-service meetings, management training for new supervisors, OSBA's transportation data and calculations, including cost analysis reports, efficiency studies, funding estimators, and other calculations. You'll also get access to OSBA's extensive transportation resource library, and support with the T1 and T2 state reporting requirements. Ensure your district has a transportation lifeline. Enroll today in OSBA's Virtual Supervisor Program at www.ohioschoolboards.org.